If you enjoy podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Women Physicians Lead, hosted by Dr. Lisa Herbert, helps women physicians move from surviving to thriving in their personal and professional lives. Dr. Lisa shares leadership tips, burnout support, stress management strategies, and inspiration from women physicians who've made remarkable transitions into leadership roles. There's a fantastic episode that you should check out called Taking Care of Yourself During the Journey, about how women physicians can care for themselves while on their leadership journeys. Check out Women Physicians Lead on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to Better with Dr. Erica. Don't you want to be better, do better, and live better? With 21 years of experience in human behavior, Dr. Erica will help you put the you back in your life. Now, take this time to focus on opening yourself to this experience and let Dr. Erica pour into you. And here's your host, Dr. Erica. Hey, y'all. I am so excited to be back with another episode. And today I have a phenomenal guest. Like, I'm just so excited I was able to get them to book to do quality time with us. So I'm just as excited about him talking to you as I am just getting a chance to talk to him myself. So before I just keep all the suspense, because it's only so much suspense, because who's my guest is already in the episode description. But today I have Coach B, whose government name is Brendan Moore, even though I don't know if anybody actually calls him by his government name. It depends on which universe that I'm in at the time, which shoes I'm wearing <laughs> Not more often now than ever before. I know. We'll have to talk about that because Coach B has this talent for reinventing himself like the black male Madonna. <laughs> You always look up and he's doing something totally different. But today we have some really special conversation to have for you. So real quick, before we get into all of the tea spilling of the conversation, I'd love to tell you just a little bit about him. Now I'm going to warn you, he's going to tell you more about himself. I just have to at least start it off. So B is this dynamic dude. He is so incredibly smart. And he has this wonderful skill of not rubbing it in on how smart he actually is. And when he talks and everything he knows, he has this really wonderful way of breaking things down into practical, usable pieces of information. Beyond the fact that he does know quite a bit of trivia, he is my sci-fi buddy, my superhero buddy, my Star Wars buddy, my Star Trek buddy. And he does some of everything. He's been in the realms of technology, health, and even community development. And he is an HBCU alum. He's not from my area, neck of the woods, but he is a Howard alum. I'm not even going to start on that right now. <laughs> Who knew? Who knew? I guess you're like, you know. But B, can you tell the people a little bit about yourself? Yes. My name is Brendan Moore. Very few people historically have used that name. More known by my forever nickname, which is just B, spelled out B-E. Last name is Moore. I am a Howard alum. I'm from New Jersey. 
first of all, thank you so much. That was super complimentary, and I really appreciate it. And it's great to feel like the people who uh, you spend time with see you in really positive light. So I, I think that's fantastic. One thing I will say that I disagree a little bit about, it's a soft disagree, okay. is that that I do a lot of different things because in my brain, they're all always the same thing. Building community. Mm. No matter what the variable is around the campfire, around which I'm bringing people, I'm always building campfires and bringing people to huddle around the campfire. Then I, I will take that soft disagreement. I will take it. Yep. Yep. The campfire changes. It does. But for every instance that we've known each other and every iteration that we've known each other, it's always me trying to put Erica in a room with other like-minded people who will help her become the best version of herself, period. Oh, you're going to make me cry. But luckily, you know, when people are listening to us on this podcast, they won't see all of my tears. <laughs> it's bad enough they tried to bring them out on Falcon and Winter Soldier. They did a great job. I'm holding all of the feels, all of the feels. Mm -hmm. So I, I think you brought up a great point that you have this really, and I, I do think it's a superpower as far as your ability to build community in so many different types of spaces. When I originally met you, you were doing the alumni roundup. Tell the people what that was if they weren't in the in crowd or with the cool kids to be there for that moment. <laughs> I got you. Yeah. So I came out of college and when I was in undergrad at Howard, which was life changing for me, I was blessed to be able to intern every summer somewhere that was in direct line with my engineering degree and career that I was building at the time. And I had this mentor, first internship, first and second internship that gave me a Franklin planner. Oh. Nobody knows what I'm talking about who's like not at least our age, right? But 20-year-old guys don't know what the heck I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. I got mine in inroads. There you go. So it's a book, three-ring binder that you have refills. Every single year you grab refills and put it in, and it's currently what you're doing when you're managing your calendar online and then also your contacts online. But instead, it was a book, and I carried that everywhere I went. And so what I would do at the time was I would collect people's information. Let me have your number and your address of where you're staying right now, which is in college. And let me get your parents' address as well. And I would update that every year. Oh, look at you. I was collecting people, right? I just wanted to make sure that as I learned more about you and what you did, that if I met somebody who I need to put you in the same room or we need to work together, I know why, you know? Got it. So- Undergrad finished, grad school finished. I went off to work in, in New York. I was an engineer. And at the time, I had this these old versions of my Franklin Planner. And I would just start calling people to see, is the information even correct? The truth is, I had no way of really reaching my freshman year roommates and my sophomore year roommates, unless their parents' information was still the same. Oh. But we were at a point in, in, in technology where a lot of people were doing blogs and they were doing like, you know, .blogspot.com or whatever. But we were at a point where you could get your own URL and then put your own technology behind it. I just wanted to see if I could find a way to build the campfire big enough to find out where my friends were and bring them out, bring them all around something. And this is kind of while Facebook was only serving Harvard at the time. So that project you're referring to, Alumni Roundup, by the time we met, we had gone from serving Howard alum to 22 historically black colleges, giving them their own individual website and, and social network to find each other and to connect in real positive ways. And as a result of that, 
I'm telling you, I can't go anywhere without this story happening. B, oh man, you see that guy right there? You see that guy right there? That 12 year old, that 15 year old? <laughs> That's because of you, dog. I met, I met his mother on the thing. Or thank you so much, man. I got, I, I got divorced as a result of. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, hey, man, uh, you know, I just built the campfire. You came out. Whatever happened, that's on you, good or bad. So that's how you and I met. You and I met in the streets of Atlanta in one weekend. We were doing like uh, some events that were centered around the Atlanta Classic. Mm-hmm. And that was, you know, the first domino. And we've had a long, incredible relationship ever since. Yes. We could actually probably talk for an hour about B's career. But I want to hit a couple of high notes and then we're going to circle back to here. So when I said he's like Madonna, you know, this is someone that has a technical background that then is doing all this building community with all these different college communities, was also doing promotions of events for these communities. And then we look up and all of a sudden there's eating for abs, you know? <laughs> so so then he's kind of reinventing himself with doing a community that was around health and fitness and wellness. At the time of this recording, just yesterday, at the time of this recording, DJ Khaled's album came out. And on that album, there's a song with Nas and Jay-Z. And Nas in that, in that verse says, health is wealth. Mm-hmm. You know, he, here's a guy that has done so much in his career, even, you know, just uh, investing in black businesses and things, just had an incredible windfall with Coinbase. And he has now come around the corner to now professing health is wealth. And that's that campfire that you're talking about that we built around wellness. Yes. And, you know, he just keeps doing new things, which is one of the things I totally love because there's there's nothing like knowing folks that you literally sit on the edge of the seat wondering what is the next thing <laughs> that, that they're going to do. I'm not going to dig into his entire career because I know at this point right now he is representing himself, not necessarily every single person he's ever worked with. Right, right. But one of the neat things about when you were doing the roundup was that you actually were working with your brother. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then people started knowing him as Roundup Russy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's still his license plate. It's funny. And, and you know, what's funny is, is so the people that we worked with all those many years ago, that's, that's, those guys are family. And every project that I move forward with, those, it's the same team. It's like Jazzy Jeff and Fresh Prince. It, when he went on to just doing Will Smith, mm-hmm. he'll tell you the name changed, but the operation was still, Jeff was doing the beats and I was doing the, so still very much. We have, as you know, we have a we have Brooklyn Tea, the Tea Cafe in in Bedsty, which is expanding to Atlanta, which is Woo-hoo! fantastic. Yeah, and online. Who knows? I won't have to keep doing all of my online orders. I can actually just you go can actually pick go up in, my tea. right, and drink in the in the spot, which is down by the Mercedes Benz Dome, which would be fantastic. Uh, in a five years with the construction they're doing down there, you know, we've got Eating for Abs, like you said, which is nutrition coaching. As you know, I'm currently working uh, in the tech space, and that's another place. And really, let me get even more detailed and say all of these fireplaces are really about my communities. It's about doing as much as I can for black communities because we have such inequities in the United States that there's so much work to be done. I just keep on going kind of, you know, level to level saying, how can I elevate my people? That's what it's about. You know, number one, I I love that you could actually build business and be able to spend that kind of time with your brother. Can you tell us a little bit more about your family? Because I know family is something really important to you. So what we have in Black America is ex- we have a lot of extended family and we also have fictive kinship, which means you, you can have people that you grew up with your whole life and they're your 
your play cousin, per se. And eventually the play disappears, and that's just my cousin or my little brother. So my biological little brother you're talking about is Rustin, mm-hmm. uh, a.k.a. Roundup Rusty. He's in Washington, D.C. right now. The other little brother is Alfonso, a.k.a. Tito, who is the CEO of Brooklyn Tea, uh, which is fantastic. And, of course, I'm, I'm married. I've got three kids, two of which are done with school, one which is graduating this year. He'll be at... Drum roll announcement. He'll be at North Carolina A&T as a freshman next year. Oh, the, no Howard? Did not, nope, not Howard. And he did get accepted to Morehouse as well. But, you know, we're making financial decisions and, and figuring out, you know, we're in state in North Carolina. So that's where he's going. In addition, you know, my mom is in New Jersey. And I know we're going to get around to talking about my dad, who recently passed. Uh, and that's like a brand new thing for me. And that's really why I'm so excited to talk to you about today, because we recently did a podcast on my show, The Black Futurist. Oh, Normally, I quarterback those shows. Right? <laughs> Normally, I know what's going on. Normally, I walk in the door knowing exactly what we're going to talk about. I've got a couple zingers that people might not know are coming. Are you a control freak? Go. No, I'm just really entertaining. <laughs> really, really entertaining. <laughs> but this time, my uh, my good friend co-host, Dr. Maurice Dolberry, says, hey, you normally, you know, run the role, but I'm going to do it this time. I was like, sweet. OK, cool. And he goes, um, and I'm not going to tell you what we're talking about. OK, very cool. I stand in this very spot when we do this podcast. And for those of you who are listening on audio, I'm in a giant walk-in closet. And I do this because of I do it because it's the best audio quality I can get. Right. But since I'm standing in the closet, I, I've hung up pictures. Right. I've got some very cool pictures in the closet. The show is called The Black Futurist. It's a lot about science fiction as well as where we'll be in iteration, the next iteration, the next iteration of black uh, evolution in social evolution in the United States and in the world. So I'm thinking, OK, we're going to talk about one of these incredible shows that have just come out that we've watched or one of these movies or Marvel or, or whatever. I'm ready. If you're not telling me what we're talking about, that's fine. We walk into the show. He does an intro. And the first thing he asks me is, so your dad passed away two months ago. How you how you doing with that? Oh, I was floored. Wait, one more. Ooh. <laughs> I make a commitment when I walk into this room that I'm going to be honest and transparent. And if that's the question, then you're going to get the honest answers. And what I got from that show of listening back to it was a solid understanding that I'm lacking some tools to cope with loss like that. Mm. I'm sure there's like hundreds of years of developed and iterated and finely tuned skills and uh, tools to help people deal with stuff. I remember walking out of that show, and especially after the edit, I was saying, you know what? It's a great show. Very open, very honest. I'm not at all ashamed about releasing it. And I could probably benefit from using some tools. And so when you called and said, hey, would you come on the show? And what what, what might you want to talk about? I was like, I know exactly what we want to talk about. (laughs) (laughs) How do people deal with grief? And what can we share from your toolbox and what do I need to know? Because it's, it's a thing. Indeed. And I I definitely appreciate you committing to the transparency of this process Mm -hmm. and, and choosing a very personal topic because I'm going to let you all out there in podcast listening land know that I actually talked to him and I'm very honored that he trusts me with this type of conversation. And before we get to some of the specifics of the coping 
One thing I think that it would be useful for the audience to know is how your father's health and the health of people around you inspired you to transition into that journey of being invested and working with the health and wellness of others. Yeah, big time. So for those who are like me, you know, dad, my nuclear family was intact. You know, I know that not everybody had both parents in the house. I was blessed to have um, my grandparents lived in the same town. When I bought my first house, one my other side grandmother lived on my same street and my parents lived across town. Right. So all through growing up and then left for college. But when I moved back to the Northeast, family was all around. And so I was blessed to have that. And as, as my wife and I started having children, it made a huge difference because you have all this familial support. Mm-hmm. So dad, years ago, when he was just out of uh, undergrad, left after getting his degree in urban planning and moved to Atlanta. You don't even know this part of the story. I didn't. Right. He moved to Atlanta because at the time there was a movement to build a city for black professionals, black people, where we can like live together and take care of each other and, you know, kind of escape all the turmoil of uh, everyday America that was happening in, in the 60s and 70s and all that. So there's a place called Soul City. That you can look that up in Wikipedia. It's still up. Soul City was the name of the development in Atlanta mm. uh, where professionals were being attracted to come down and help build this place out. While he was there, this young dude in his early 20s, he was asked to climb up on a roof and do something with some, move move something. And there was a power line that was down. And I guess there was some water up there. Long story short, he got electrocuted. Oh, my Lord. Yep, third-degree burns over much of his body. And actually had to end up getting, uh, he became an amputee, uh, below-the-knee amputee. That's been present my whole life. Okay. Never meant anything because it was just the baseline for, you know, my experience. I I didn't know any different. And that's fine. You know, all good. Later in life, he would develop type 2 diabetes. Mm. He would go beyond that to have congestive heart failure due to kidney problems and then go on to dialysis and eventually a kidney transplant. And so by the time we get to kidney transplant age, I'm an adult with three kids who owns a house in town. Mm-hmm. And my dad, being the son of a, a, a major in the army, black major in the army at a time when, uh, you know, we were getting our asses kicked in war and when we come back, right? His dad was not very emotional. He was, you know, very rigid. So dad didn't have a lot of the tools to engage with us emotionally, my brother and I. You know, he was kind of in between. Not as hard as his father, but not really touchy-feely. So the day he goes in for his kidney transplant after like two years of dialysis, he calls my wife and I and he just says something that rocked my world. It was just, he said, all he said was, hey, I just want you to know you're doing a great job with the kids. That's all he said. Like, that should be an everyday pat on the back, right? For for everybody else. But for me, it was like the one touchy-feely moment from dad broke me. Done. And uh, And that hurt in the moment. So in that moment, kind of dug my heels in after I recovered. I just said, you know what? That hurt. And that pain of, you know, he's he's saying that because it's finalistic. You know, he doesn't know if he's going to make it out of this operation and all that kind of stuff. But I said, I will do and commit to doing not anything, but everything that I need to do 
to prevent or forestall the time until I have to make a call like that to my kids. Okay. I'll do everything. So I went and uh, got a coach who was uh, incredible. I worked with him for a year, worked with his assistant coach for a year, and changed my life. Did everything different. And while I was doing that, as you know, like I told you, I had websites. I was blogging about it, and people were starting to ask me questions that I couldn't in good conscience answer because I knew the right answers for me, but I didn't. I wasn't qualified to share that information. So I shared that with my coach. I said, listen, I care about my community. I care about these people who are asking me these questions. I shouldn't answer their questions. So how do I put myself in position to answer their questions? And we wrote out an education plan, went back to school, got the certifications, went and took the internships, ended up working for a university in New Jersey, working for the sports team. We took that team to the final four for the first time in program history. And, and I was a big part of that. And the nutrition changes we made to that team were a big part of it. And then uh, opened up, like, how can I help everyday homesteaders, regular people? Mm-hmm. And I uh, went and got Andre, Coach Dre, who's a great friend of mine. And we uh, mm-hmm. we built Eating for Abs, which was really a kind of tongue in cheek, but it's about eating better, living better so that you can live your longest, healthiest life. And that's all motivated by my dad. And what he was going through and the love I had for, for my kids and love I had for my dad. So that that's all there. And to to move it forward. So the passing of my dad, just another node, another like when you tell my story down the line, those are going to be some decision notes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. I've told the story before. I, I probably tell it <laughs> emotionless at this point, but that's what happened. So let, I'll continue and tell the story. I'm currently working in, in the tech space. Right. There's a uh, there's a company whose whose founder has said, I'm sick and tired of people uh, telling me that they can't find good black talent for for their hiring. Oh, yeah. And then also I'm sick of seeing all this money because he's an investor. I'm seeing all this money that I'm investing in companies and only like two percent of it goes to black founders. So I'm going to create a company around that. And. They brought me in to run the community, use my superpower to just run the community, just build community around this idea that we can help black professionals. Great. Did that. Then they said, hey, CES is coming up, which is the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas. Said, Brendan, would you, you interested at all in participating in CES? Because it's COVID and normally it's this huge uh, convention situation in Las Vegas, but they're going to do it online this year. Would you care to be one of the hosts of some of the tech tours? Hell yeah. So I flew to LA and to the soundstage. I'm so excited to hear where this is going. I'm bringing you around. Trust me. me. Listen to the story. Just just sit back and listen to the story. Okay. Okay, I'm I'm, I'm leaned back. If you can't, y'all can't see me on the internet. So I'm leaned back. So I go out to LA I do these tech tour. I do the the um, practice, the rehearsal, and there's a lot to. There's a lot of turns and changes that, that go from the script to actually bringing it to life. The very next day, you know, there's two days of live interviews, back to back to back, that I'm going to be doing. And that morning, I wake up after doing all these, uh, all this rehearsal and all this like really customized stuff to kind of cement my place in there. And my buddy was staying in the next room over. He came and knocked on the door. And said, "Hey, um, your brother's trying to reach you." And all these other people trying to reach you. So I looked at my phone and yeah, I got like 12 missed calls. And it was because my dad had passed away that morning. Oh, wow. There was no way I could leave CES after all that work we do. There's no way they could have got somebody else in there. So I did the two days. I just really, you know, 
knuckled up and, and did the two days and then flew back east and came and dealt with my dad's situation. So, you know, that was a, that was a major happening that impacted just my story, right? Mm-hmm. That, that brings us to today. I can't even imagine because um, ironically, we're, we're recording this episode on my father's birthday. <laughs> oh, shout out to your dad's birthday. Yeah, shout out to Dad's birthday. Uh-huh. You know, I, I think he'll listen to this. He should listen. He he loves anything I do. My dad's happy like, birthday, sir. He is forever Team Erica. Both of my parents. So I, I'm blessed to still have both of my parents around for them to be in pretty good health for their age. So I don't have a personal reference, even though I can be empathic. I don't have a personal reference for exactly how you've you've been feeling. Can can you walk us through? some of the major kind of emotional milestones that you've been experiencing since he passed? Uh, I think that's actually the issue is that I don't have any. Like I've been through loss before and I, you know, I've cried it out and all that kind of stuff. You know, I lost a a really close friend Mm -hmm. who I've known since freshman year of college and I went through, you know, anger. I was angry at this dude. Yeah. Like just flat out mad. Because I felt like he could have done things different and didn't. And then I was hurt and sad and, and you know, guilty. All, I felt all those things. And now with him, I'm left with just jokes. Like, I just have nothing but happiness when I think of him because I let, like, all that stuff eventually disappeared. With dad, it's almost like, just like kind of our relationship was. It's data. It's just like, hey, you know, dad was here and, and now he's not here. And I'm more sad for the impact it has on my mom because they were together 50 years and change, whatever. Wow. And even and even my kids, because he was around in their life. But but I don't have that um, same level of emotional tear-jerkiness that I had with, you know, my buddy, or that necessarily my mom has, which is understandable. You know, so that's the thing. I, I feel like I maybe have compartmentalized, or I'm waiting for the, I'm waiting for the tidal wave to hit me. I don't know. Do you ever feel like you have so much other things to balance to kind of swing into cognitive capacity or emotional capacity that you have so many things to balance between your own businesses, the company that you more newly are working for, managing everything going on with your family, helping deal with things for and with your mom, Mm -hmm. that do you ever feel like you don't really have enough space to grieve or be in an intensely emotional space? I don't know that I can self-diagnose that. What I do say, yeah, obviously I juggle a lot, but I would think that, I think for me, if I were to try to self, kind of see myself, it's that I really don't know how to pull the trigger on that. Okay. I was I was waylaid when my buddy died. That was five or so years ago. And so it just happened. I don't know how to grieve. I don't know how to be any different emotionally than what happens naturally. I don't have the, I don't have that capacity for just how to turn on or open up emotional objectivity or openness or closeness. It just is. Mm-hmm. And that's the part that's uh, it's a big question mark for me. Well, and I think you're bringing up a huge point. Um, I'll put on my Dr. Erica way too many years of education and psychiatry hat. And one of the things that I I'm glad is being highlighted in this conversation is you can put 10 people in a room that seemingly had a similar loss and they all have different emotional experiences with it. Mm -hmm. So grief is a very individual experience. 
And the same person can grieve people in a variety of ways. And, you know, I think most of us would agree that there's not one one right way to grieve or this is grief. This is how you do grief. (laughs) And especially because if we look at a lot of these interpersonal relationships, people mean different things. And then also, especially I know we'd had some conversations around your dad and I know when my stepmother passed and I'm not going to equate the two because the closeness is very different. Mm-hmm. Is that especially when we start dealing with people that have been chronically ill or severely ill, that there's a part of grieving that tends to start before the person actually passes. Yeah. In a way that even if not consciously, subconsciously, your mind is starting to process the fact that there's not an expectation that they're going to be here long term. Or you have some idea that we don't know exactly what the day is, but the, the, this day is imminent or it's coming. It's in the short term, not the long term versus some of these losses where it's like you had no idea somebody wasn't going to be on this earth tomorrow and then bam, they're gone. Yeah. Yep. So I, I think that also tends to affect people's grief. And then there are some people that they, it's almost like how they say people live out loud and some people live their emotions out loud. Mm-hmm. Whatever is going on with them emotionally, everybody's not their best friend, not their wife or husband or partner. Everybody sees or hears about how they're feeling. So all of that to say is it's not necessarily that you're not grieving or you're not grieving this way. Is it, This just may be a function of how grief is presenting itself in this context. Yeah. Just for, and I'm putting you on the spot, I know, and I apologize in advance. I, I've seen or heard of the stages of grief before. Do you know those? Yes. Should I, we Google I, them? There, there are a few different constructs that people use <laughs> with the stages of grief, with, with some of the highlights being denial, anger, sadness, and acceptance. So there, and also people will also talk about bargaining. And those are, you look at different places and they may have, some people say seven, but a lot, the one I like the best has kind of a model of five. And what's interesting about it is that with the stages of grief, when you look at them, whichever construct you use, is that people don't always go through them linearly. Right. And they don't always go through them in order. So they may bounce back and forth. Because I know I know for me, um, when one of my dearest friends passed, there was a moment of sadness, but there was simultaneously so much anger. I literally wanted to bring him back to life <laughs> to kill him again. <laughs> to be mad at him. Yeah, yes, be- because sometimes it's that way. from the outside, it's like, you're like, oh, there's so many things that could have been done differently. And I know how smart you are. What happened? You know? But I think for a lot of people, they move in and out of these. And a lot of times the hard thing with with grief is people will be like, aren't you over that yet? Or is it done? And there's not really, even though there are some clinical time periods that they put on where if you have these symptoms, we'll call it grief. But if you had these symptoms past this long, then we're calling it depression, is that there's not really truly in my personal interpretation and experience a time limit for grief. You'll see people who had a loss and that loss was 
5, 10, 15, 20 years ago, and they still have some level of grief. Yeah. That's one thing I feel like the human condition, especially Western culture, kind of goes left sometimes as far as trying to put everything in a box is this is this is how you do it. This is how you grieve. And if you don't do it this way, you did it wrong. You know, or people looking like, well, if you if you weren't crying about the fall in the casket, you didn't really love them. Hmm. You know, if you aren't walking around like you can't make a sentence crying constantly, well, I, what's really going on? And and I think there needs to be more space for for variability. When they talk about the stages of grief, do you agree that that we should go through or eventually will go through all of those things, or or is that not even universal there? I think most people go through most of them, but somebody may only do three or four and not do all five. Okay. Like if you think of, it's very rare that someone says something about the loss of a child, a child that passes and they're like, I'm pissed off at, at my baby if I die. Right. You know, but they may, you do see sometimes, a lot of times if it's anger, it's not anger at the child. It's the most often place I see anger, especially when we're talking about grief as far as death is anger with with God or whatever someone's highest spiritual being is. Right. That then they're angry with them like why did you let this happen? Why did happen? you allow this to happen? Yeah. Mhm. Hmm. Okay. Which happens, you know. And I I th- I think the hard thing is is that there's not a simple way to walk someone through it. Mm-hmm. To me the simplest thing is to be there with someone for a walk. Yeah that you're actually present. And I think one of the biggest things, and this will transition to something I want to talk to you about, is how people are present after the pop and circumstance of the funerals. Mm-hmm. How people are present after that's done. What were things that people did in your process that had been helpful? Mm. The same guy I mentioned, Andre, my partner in Eating for Abs, when I got back home in North Carolina, after being away at, at my parents' house helping out for several weeks, when I got back, I guess on the way back, he said, hey, let me know when you get back home. Okay, cool. So I said, hey, I'm back. Made it safe. I'm good. Thanks for checking. He goes, okay, cool. So I'm sending dinner over tonight, mm-hmm. which was so, like, I didn't even think of it because, you know, I, I think you send it to people's houses like you send it to my mom or whatever. You send people send food or people send flowers and things like that. And that's we watched that happen at at mom and dad's house, you know, for the weeks after the funeral. But when we got home, he sent dinner to our house. Oh. And that was incredible. Like it was something that um was we didn't realize how much um of our own self-care we were probably neglecting, not even thinking about what we're gonna eat. You know, we were so so concerned with everyone else, with mom and everybody else. So that was hugely helpful. And he did it he did it twice, which was incredible. And it became a thing even in our conversations in the house. Uh it was like, you know, this thing was fantastic. Let's do this every time just to say thank you to people. So we've done it. Like, you know, I've called friends that just say, "Hey, look, let me just send you dinner tonight and don't tell them what I'm ordering, just send it over." And it just it just feels so good. So I would say that that that's been huge. That was just a really good feeling. I I definitely would encourage people to, when people are going through something where they're not given the bandwidth, their normal bandwidth to take care of themselves, to take some of that weight off their shoulders without even asking, you know, just kind of do, 
And, and I think also, um, this is totally aside. It wasn't my experience, but I saw it. Depelsha, I don't know if I should say her name in the show, but she was also an ed for a student with you earlier. She lost her husband. And I saw she wrote out this really descriptive testimonial about the grief she was going through losing her husband. And she's, and one of the things she said that I find to be really true of, of things that she recommends people do is to reach out, like be present, but don't expect a response. Right. You know, like it, it feels good when you're going through a thing to know that people are present, but it also can be a burden to have to respond in kind because people are so generous or can be so generous with their condolence and, and letting them, let, letting you know how much they care for you or they cared for your loved one. That could be a heavy lift to try to return that level of compassion or depth of thought at that given time. So I have a, I have seen that and I appreciate, I appreciate people's generosity. And I would say in situations going forward, I would act the same and be generous and not expect a response. Right. Mm -hmm. Got it. What are ways you feel like, cause now we're, a, we're not a long time out, but we're a little ways out now. I'd say in retrospect, but it also is in the moment now, what are ways do you feel like people can support you in this continued process? I think that this conversation is huge support. And I think that that's my concern is I don't have any concerns for my own support. I don't have any concern for being supported. And, and I feel like that's the thing that I'm trying to uncover and discover, like where am I supposed to be versus where I am? Because I feel like I feel blessed, number one, because I feel like dad and I, there was nothing left unsaid between us. And I think you kind of hit the nail on the head in the sense that he had been nursing sickness for years, right? Since the time he got diabetes, nursing that, then nursing, you know, that on top of his, his previous ailments due to the electrocution thing, then dealing with dialysis, then dealing with managing the kidney issue. Like he had been on a long process of discomfort in and out of medical care. And so when you said people can maybe begin the grieving process earlier, pre kind of pre, mm -hmm. I think that that's, that's profound actually for me, because I can, I can probably say that that's definitely something that I, that a part of me, there's a, been a reserved part of me that it expected that we would come to an end because I'd watched sickness and him managing that for so long. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's hugely helpful in terms of other than that, like, how could you support me? I don't have any needs. I'm good. <laughs> Unless I'm totally deluded. Which you'll have to tell me. <laughs> well, and I, I think you brought up something that I do want to touch on briefly, which is that this feeling of not sure if you're doing it right or if there's something you should be doing or something you should be looking at. And anyone out there, I, I think one of the, the key things with moving through, because I never say moving past a lot of these things when it's when it's losses, because when we're looking at grief, grief and death, it's a loss is you find ways to move through it. People don't get over losing their parents or losing, losing someone they, they love. You just find a way to live with it yeah, and to still feel like you have a meaningful life. But I think there's something huge in there as far as the importance of having a level of self-awareness to be able to check in with yourself. If you check in with yourself and you're like, self, how am I holding up? And the answer is, I'm doing good. Right. Then you're good. But you need to do the check-ins just in case there's a time where it's like, self, how am I doing? And the answer is like, self, not too great. Right. Because to me, the what 
the hardest thing is when, when we have emotional stuff going on and we kind of try to shove it in a corner and it's just grows and grows and grows until it becomes just totally uncontrolled. Mm-hmm. Kind of like ants. If you have ants and you don't get your house sprayed or take care of the ants and all of us that went to schools at HBCUs, I know for sure have had some, especially <laughs> in the South, some experience with ants. Is if you don't do anything about the ants, it's going to be a million ants. Yeah. Our emotions function sometimes almost like a pressure cooker. That if we do not deal with them, acknowledge them, manage them, or do something with them, that eventually they will spill over mm. and explode. And to me, that's one of the biggest things is the importance of do, having the self-awareness to check in so that if something happens and you do have a need or you do need some support, that you can get it when it's early versus when it's about to explode and then everything's just a hot disaster and a hot mess. Yeah. Yep. Makes sense. You know, and, and the flip side's also true that there, there are some people that they lose someone and they feel like a hot mess or they feel like a disaster because, you know, they're, they're crying, they can't think, they're not sleeping, they're miserable. That happens too. Yeah. You know, so I think one of the biggest messages I have for everyone out there and you is that to give yourself and others grace, because as we said earlier, there's not just one way to deal with grief or loss. Mm-hmm. So how even in one family, as you even noted that your kids deal with it different than your mom deals with it, which may also be different than how your brother does. It's okay if everyone manages differently. Yeah. Big time. You know, it's also a big deal that as we're recording this, our community has been suffering and loss is just pervasive. We've been disproportionately impacted by COVID. Mm -hmm. So it's safe to assume in many cases that the other Black people you come across know someone who is no longer with us, know someone who has been impacted significantly. Yeah, so how, are you seeing more of that in your conversations and, and how are you advising community that way? I am. And the other thing to remember is just because COVID came, the rest of life didn't stop. So just as, you know, we were talking about your dad and he had other conditions, is that there are people are dying from COVID, but people are dying from other stuff too. Everything didn't just go on pause. Yeah. Because of COVID, so one of the things I I tell people I work with is that it's important to give yourself some space to work through and and feel these feelings because in this season, there's a lot of loss. There's loss in the context of death, but people have had a lot of financial losses. A lot of people have have lost their job. There are some people that their relationships got better in COVID. Some being in the same house didn't work, so they lost relationships. You have kids dealing with the loss of not spending time with their friends or not being at school or not doing those traditional milestones of not doing prom, especially kids that were in athletics. What would it be like if we all thought about you finally make it to high school, you don't get to go? Or you finally make it to college and you're still in your mama's house and you'd plan to be on campus Live, live in your best life Yeah, is that there's just a multitude of losses. Also, we've been grieving other people that we may not know personally. People have grieved the loss of 
all of this, the people that have been killed by police that now we have a language and a way to communicate about from George Floyd to Ahmaud Arbery to Breonna Taylor to Dante Wright to Makia Bryant, all of these people. So there's just been just this collective grieving that has been going on. So one of the things I encourage people is make a list of like five folks. There's no specific thing is like, it has to be this many family, this many friends, coworkers, whatever, but five people that you can depend on, that you can be your authentic self emotionally with, Mm -hmm. that if anything goes down or you have any kind of feelings or just need to talk, that you can call. And for some people, it may be friends. Some There's going to be some family. There may be some that have their pastor or someone at church. Some may have actually their therapist. It's always good to have these things available at the ready. So if something goes down, you're not saying, who can I call? Because you won't be calling Ghostbusters. You'll be able to know who you can call because you've already thought about it. And and I think that's the thing is you were talking about the bandwidth and people sending sending something over so you don't have to use the bandwidth to make that decision is that when you're in crisis or you're having difficulty, if you already have a list of people or have already kind of thought of who are your peeps, then something goes down, you know who you're going to call. You're not sitting there thinking, well, who should I call? Right. Because that can be exhausting. Yeah. And at the time you need those people, you're already in compromise mindset. You don't need to be trying to figure that out at that moment. You're right. And I'm going to put this out here as a specific. You need people on your list that answer the phone. Because we all have those people we love that love us. But if you call them, you know they ain't going to answer. Or you got to text them a million times saying, I actually really need to talk or this is important. If the ideal is to have people that you don't have to go through all the rigmarole for them to actually answer your call. Yeah, good point. I just had to put it out there because I, I know some folks like that, that you have to send them, also send them a message. I really need to talk. <laughs> it's really important. There's a crisis. And then they answer the phone. And that's a nice also ping to those people who maybe not be answering the phone to do so. Or maybe we are supposed to learn the lesson and say, well, maybe I'm not to that person who's not answering the phone who I think I am to them. Yeah. Or, or there are people you accept that, you know, that's how they roll. They're cool. You love them. That's how they roll. So that's, that's not who you depend on if something's really important or it's an emergency. Yeah. You know, you, you just know that that ain't what I, that's not what this relationship is. That's just not what it is. So we've, we've been talking for a while and I'm going to switch gears. But before we switch gears, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsors. Welcome to Goodwin Medical Associates, where we provide customized, caring telepsychiatry that is delivered with compassion by a Harvard-trained, double-board-certified psychiatrist. Don't you know that everyone, including you, deserves great mental health? Visit www.goodwintelepsych.com for more information and to book your free consultation. And guess what? We are back. You know, we have to have our sponsors. Got to pay the bills. So guess what we're going to do now is we've, we've talked about death and dying for a while. I want to shift gears because I also want to leave you on a, a more cheerful note. Hey, cheers. <laughs> so we're going to move on to our little speed round. Are you ready? I'm ready. I know speed round is hard for you. Why? Why do you think it's harder for me than it is for anyone else? Because you talk a lot. <laughs> that should mean I'm good. Speed round. 
That <laughs> it's it's all love, you know. We we are authentic on this on this podcast. In the booth, always authentic. Let's go. What you got? First question: What is the best lesson that you have learned from your mom? Oh, that expectations of each other matter. Quick story: uh, the worst thing that my mom ever did to me was, you know, I, I was. You know, as, as all kids, you get into trouble, you do stuff. But I remember, I, I don't even know what I did. I lied one time or something. And, you know, maybe expecting a punishment. My mom did not throw punishment at me. She said something to the effect of, like, I'm just disappointed in you. She, she said, yeah, she was like, you, you were, like, at a 10 out of 10 in terms of my, you know, how I see you. And now less. I was like, oh. oh she threw the I'm disappointed card. Yeah, that was tough. So that taught me as an adult, didn't teach me in the moment, as an adult, I just, I understand how much the opinions of our loved ones matter to us. That's a very powerful tool. I I love that. I love that. The next thing is, what is one piece of advice that grown up Brendan would give to your younger self? Okay, so we're going to take off all the back to the future stuff. So I cannot go back and hand him the uh, the sports almanac for the last dozen years. No, this is a Nothing. conversation. <laughs> yeah, I get Who it. knew this would be the thing that stumped you? That's, that's a tough one because, you know, if you change a variable, your whole future changes. The trajectory of everything changes. We've all seen the science fiction shows. Okay, trust your instincts. Trust the people. Uh, trust the people who you call your friend. Your relationships our currency that uh, will carry you a very long way. See, that works. That works. Mm-hmm. See, look, see, you're doing it. There we go. What is one of your favorite gifts to yourself? Time. Time is my ultimate luxury. It is the thing that has guided my, you know, it's been a guiding principle in my life for a very long time. It's the one resource that I cannot get back. So my gift to myself is always time. If uh, someone expects me to do a thing and it's not how I want to spend my time, my gift of saying no is good for them and for me because it gives it's a gift to me to be able to say no and say, you know what, the, the thing that I really want is to spend my time doing this, that, and the third versus something else. I love that. I feel like we need a T-shirt that says my gift to myself is saying no. Nice. It's no true. is a gift. It's a gift to me and to you. You don't I want know. me to just run <laughs> I, I love it. I love it. So the next one is you have a day off. What are you looking forward to doing? Okay, so I'm actually in a day off right now. I've My birthday is on Monday. So I have Woo! taken Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday off. So in my time, in this block of time, one of the things that I've scheduled is to do this podcast with you. Oh! One of the things that I'm looking forward to doing is spending time with the people who care about me and to with for whom I care in, in meaningful ways. Who knew this is where the, I'd say my best friend talks about thug tears, but I have no thug tendencies. <laughs> so I can't actually have thug tears because I'm I channel red from Fraggle Rock. Like I can't I can't have thug tears. Oh gosh, you just got me there. You you got me. That's great. <laughs> so what is one thing you do when someone either disrespects you or underestimates you? You asked me earlier if I was a control freak. I won't say that, but I can be competitive <laughs> and I can be disciplined. <laughs> I, I will like win. We need like a music interlude. Like, all I do is win, 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 no matter what. <laughs> Edit that in. Yes. Yep. I do not have the rights to this music. <laughs> or J Rocks. <laughs> win, 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 win. 
<laughs> that's it. I know. That's right. They're, they're stuck with our singing because yep. we, we don't own the rights to this music. That's right. That's right. And I will not be sued. Continue. <laughs> I know. So the next thing you touched on earlier, because there was a question is, what is your superpower? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you answered it early. You took my thunder. Yeah, it is. How, but I want to put a twist on it because you said your superpower is building community. Yeah. How or when did you discover that that was your superpower? The baseline is the baseline. You don't even know that you have a thing until you start to see other people don't have it. And I think that's how it was revealed to me. You know, Okay. I have no problem going out into a crowd of people for whom I know no one and have an incredible time or coming out having collected some people and now I have friends. Right? <laughs> so the way I ad- advise people sometimes presumes that that is normal. And I have come to understand after coaching for so many years, after parenting and, and being a, the friend that I am, that that is not normal. Instead, the normalcy lies somewhere between that and being a hermit in a cave somewhere, you know, total uh, introvertedness. I am an extrovert. Uh, when I was in Barbados doing crop over, dressed, uh, the guy I was there with, that my podcast co-host, Dr. Dolberry, we were separated for hours. <laughs> and I, and I'm, by, I'm, I'm by myself in a multitude of people c- completely at home. So that is a superpower. Building community, collecting relationships is a thing that I do that apparently I do really well that other people don't necessarily have the same ease that it at which it comes to me. I will co-sign that as a mm-hmm. superpower. I will co-sign mm-hmm. that that's your superpower. Mm-hmm. So as we're starting to wrap up so that we don't hold the people hostage all day, but thanks for letting us be all up in your ears right now. Do you have any final thoughts or takeaways? Uh, yeah. I, number one, thank you for allowing me to see that my experience is not right or wrong. The idea of allowing grace to others, I also turn on myself and allow myself some grace and say, hey, look, I have no idea if I'm doing it right or wrong. What will be my mindset tomorrow? I'm very comfortable with the idea that that the relationship I have with dad is an ongoing one. Mm -hmm. That's a thing. That's actually pretty cool is that the reason I probably don't feel as much loss for myself is I have these running conversations in my head with him all the time now. Maybe that's insanity. No, it's not. And and I know I'm giving your final thoughts and then we start talking about other stuff. Is (laughs) I remember I went to when Oprah was doing that last tour pre-COVID Mm-hmm. I can't even remember the name of it. And each one had a guest and I'm in Atlanta. So I went to the one that had the rock and it wasn't too long after he had lost his father. And he actually mentioned that and they end up having this entire conversation and dialogue around feeling like he had one relationship with his father while his father was alive. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And now is an opportunity to have a brand new relationship with his father now that he has transitioned. And now he feels like he has this totally different relationship, but still continues to be in relationship with him. So yeah. I offer that to you. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And so I, I have to question myself sometimes and say, you know, am I having a relationship with the invented version of my dad in my head? And I don't think so. I think that the older I get, the more experienced I get, the more I see what he did and was when he was here. So now just the dots are connecting and I'm mm-hmm. seeing, you know, what you meant. And, th- and so that's that's very much there. Yeah. Got it. Mm-hmm. And and where can the people find you? 
You can find me standing in this closet in front of this microphone. That's not going to help them. I don't think they're showing up at your house. (laughs) No. The way you get access to this closet and this microphone (laughs) is by... Wherever you're listening to podcasts, including this one, which I'm really happy is is existing and that I'm a part of, you can also search for a podcast called The Black Futurist. It is a, a series of conversations about our communities from the perspective of two Black science-oriented people who are also science fiction-oriented people who have great concern for our community's development and how we move forward by keeping a, an eye on the horizon uh, of what's coming next and how we can prepare for it while also looking back and seeing our history and bringing that to present day. So it's a lot of fun. Erica has been on the show and uh, I, I'm hoping that she will always have an open door for us to come on back and, and when we t- bring the invite. Well, and I, I love the fact now you could come on my show too. I have to have one where I actually have you and Maurice both at the same time. Yeah, that'd be fantastic. By the way, I love the title of your show. Aww. The idea that people will come in the door in one condition and leave better is fantastic. Oh, I feel all of the love and and all y'all. I don't endorse things that I don't believe in. I really enjoy his podcast, The Black Futurist. I actually subscribed and I listened to it myself on the <laughs> They have such a wide variety of guests. And it's, I feel like it's always a little surprise of, of who's next in the conversation. So I love that. And I also want to say, number one, I want to say thank you to all of you all for listening. But I also want to say thank you, B, for, for taking time out of your day off as you get ready for your birthday. When you turn 21 again. That's right. <laughs> to, to spend time with us, you always give of yourself so much that one of my birthday wishes for you is that you receive as much love and positive energy as that you give out. Thank you very much. I have to be honest. So if I had to say what my last thoughts are, my, my last thoughts are is that there's no easy way to deal with loss and there's no right way to deal with loss, but the hardest way to deal with loss is alone. Mm -hmm. So I want to encourage everyone out there as you go through this journey of life and move towards this life, this better life, that you don't try to live life on an island. There are plenty of people out there, I guarantee, that are here to support you, but they have to know a little bit of what's going on. And also have permission to step into the space because there are times, especially in times of loss, where people aren't sure of, do you want to talk to folks? Do you not want to talk to folks? Do you want us around? Do you not want us around? So if you you need someone, there may be people that care about you that aren't sure exactly what to do. And sometimes you just, you may not have to tell them exactly what to do, but you may need to just throw a little SOS or say, hey, I just need someone to talk to or need someone to be around or whatever it is and just don't do it on an island. So thanks again for being with us. I'm feeling all of the love. I hope you're feeling as much love as I'm feeling. And until next time, have a better day. Thanks for listening. Find us on social media at Dr. Erica at D-O-C-T-O-R-E-R-I-C-K-A and online at betterthepodcast.com. Follow her to get practical strategies to deal with feelings of frustration and overwhelm so you can be a thriving star in your own life story. If you like what you heard, tap on that subscribe button and also leave a review. Check back weekly for new episodes. Until next time, be better, do better, live better.